the Missional Life Podcast, inspiring kingdom-minded believers around the world to live the mission of God in their lives. All right, welcome back to the Mission Life Podcast. We are sitting here with Chuck Bentley from Crown Financial Ministries, and we are excited to hear from Chuck. He's got a new book that he's going to be sharing about. Chuck, welcome to the show. Welcome. Well, thank you, Dan and Amanda. It's a pleasure to get to know the two of you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. You know, when we think about finances, this is kind of a, a big subject and a painful subject for a lot of people, right? And uh, we also know that Jesus spoke a lot about finances. So take us a little bit back. How did you get involved with Crown Financial? And tell us where Crown Financial helps Christians right now. Oh, be happy to. And uh, I have an interesting story, Dan, because I uh, was in business. I grew up in a business family, studied business in college, went into business. And I kind of looked at it like a sport. You, you know, you play to win. And I defined the win as how much money I could make. And so that was my scorecard. And although a believer, I really was consumed with trying to make a lot of money. Mm. And in 1999, I was married. I had four children, happy as could be, uh, doing well financially. My wife thought something was wrong with me. And I didn't agree with her, but she didn't know what was wrong with me, but she just thought something is wrong with you. And uh, she said, I think it has to do with money, Hmm. but I can't put my finger on it. And I was sort of offended by that. And I said, well, I think we're doing quite well. So this Bible study came along at our church and she elbowed me and said, I want you to join, go with me. And I didn't want to go. I was like a cat near water. I I was like, you know, you're not going to throw me in there. And anyway, we got in the Bible study And I started reading what God said about money, and I realized that I was in violation of what he taught us and that I loved money, and I had become an idolater. As a believer, I'd fallen into allowing money to control my life. And so in the Bible study, I repented of my love of money. And Dan and Amanda, I think I'm the only person I've ever met that has repented of the love of money. Mm -hmm. I had a Catholic priest tell me one time, I've never heard that in a confessional booth. We won't admit it when it has taken control of our lives. But I was ashamed of myself that I had allowed that to happen. And so I just simply repented and I said, Lord, I've lost my first love. Money has become my, my love now. And I don't want to love money anymore. I don't want to control my life. All my goals, my ambition, my identity, my energy was into more, more, more. And so I just repented and that began a miraculous journey. And so to be brief about it, I... I uh, just started volunteering to tell other people what I had learned. I committed to read the scripture and understand what the Bible really says about money. And I became Im- so focused on that, immersed. I realized that out of my misery where I had been, God was giving me a ministry. Wow. Mm-hmm. And that led me to volunteering for the organization, which led me to uh, joining staff and then becoming the CEO. We were founded by the late Larry Burkett. Yes. And that was, uh, he wrote 70 books on mm-hmm. finances, sold 12 million copies. He's in the National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame. He's known yes. worldwide. And I succeeded him uh, after he died. I became the CEO in 2007. So I've been doing this now 22 years. Amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible talks a lot about stewardship. And I'm wondering, can you help us 
with some indicators where somebody is crossing from stewardship of money to the love of money. Can you help us find some of the different ways that we can, hey, I'm, I'm no longer just stewarding, I'm loving money. Well, everybody deals with money everywhere in the world. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little or somewhere in between. It's a culturally relevant topic, Dan. It's relevant on the mission field and, and a huge need globally. And that's why I so appreciate what the two of you do uh, with poverty alleviation. I'd love to go down that trail with you sometimes yeah. because a lot of times people in poverty aren't equipped to deal with finances. But the difference is that a steward does not see themselves as the owner. And I saw myself as the owner. I, I knew God had a call on my resources, like I probably should, you know, give him some. I knew that was in the Bible. But I never thought he would own like 100%. Maybe he had a call on 10%. But I, when I realized that he owns everything, I start naked, I end naked, I take nothing with me, that this is all temporal. Suddenly my ambition changed. Why was I trying to accumulate something that wasn't mine? Mm. Why didn't I just try to be faithful to glorify God with what he's given me? And so I think the pivot point is if it's yours, you have a tendency to feel uh, that it gives you security. It gives you comfort. It gives you status. It gives you opportunity. But all of those things are to be attributed to God, not money. And that's why it has a godlike interference in our heart it, it's something that we can place our confidence in unknowingly which is what I did and so it competes for lordship of our life and that's why he said you can only serve one master and it's either God or money and I had to choose in my own life which master I was going to follow and when I did as I said that relieved me from the greed and the power that money had over my life it lost its grip over me now, you talk about um, on the one side, you know, loving money, but can you also speak to the mindset that can also be detrimental where people take that verse and, you know, for the love of money is, you know, and then they, yeah, they make don't money like evil. money. Yes, they, yeah, make, they make it make evil. evil. So how can people like get out of that mindset mm -hmm. into what is truly a healthy biblical yeah godly there's, mindset there's two extremes amanda one extreme is the prosperity gospel where i can demand god makes me rich and then i value my relationship with god based on how much riches he's given me mm -hmm. and i think that's an aberration of scripture i don't think we can demand of god to make us rich secondly the other end of the spectrum is the poverty gospel where people who have money are evil mm -hmm. and they're unrighteous and I've known people gripped by the poverty gospel where they believe that uh, they're more righteous the poorer they become. Mm. And that's an aberration of Scripture as well. And so when I'm in environments teaching this, especially globally, I tell people both of those are wrong. And they're like, well, what's left? <laughs> what's in the middle? And what's in the middle is what I call the gospel of responsibility. Mm. where God says, if you're faithful with a little, you'll be entrusted with much. And that means you have to be responsible with whatever he's given you. And the, the currency of heaven is faithfulness. Wow. God mm. desires all of us to be honoring and obedient to him with everything we have, whether it's a little or a lot. And when we're faithful, then he's found somebody he can trust. We manage money that way, and so does God. If you give your child, your seven-year-old, $10 to go and buy milk, they come home and they've lost the other 
seven or six dollars in change, you're not going to give them a hundred dollars to go get milk the next time mm. because they haven't been faithful with that task. And so that's the way God manages money. Are, are you faithful to honor me with whatever I've given you? And if you are, I can trust you to do more for my kingdom with whatever I give you. It's a test. Mm. Wow. So Crown Financial originally kind of directed by Larry Burkett, wrote many books, as you alluded to earlier. You've also written some books. Tell us a little bit more about the upcoming book that you have. I wrote a book called Economic Evidence for God. And the reason I did is because my uh, journey into Scripture to learn what God really said about money and to apply it to my life was transformational. It transformed my heart. It transformed my marriage, it transformed my family, it transformed my finances, mm -hmm. and it really transformed my eternity because mm -hmm. I'm no longer trying to accumulate more on earth. I'm looking forward to whatever those rewards are in heaven where mm -hmm. God promises the, the true riches. I say Amen. the true riches are things money can't buy. Amen. And so uh, the book is about the application of those principles in your own life and experiencing God in a very real way through financial choices. And then secondly, how it applies to nations. I've traveled like you have, many, many countries of the world. I have the privilege of talking to people about economic issues all the time. And just as creation or science or studying the universe or studying like C.S. Lewis did the moral laws of the world, I started to see you could study economic law and find God. I'll give you a very practical example because you're both looking at me like I'm not so sure I follow you here. Mm -hmm. But if you take any of the Ten Commandments, where a culture upholds those laws, any one of them or all of them, their economy grows. Mm -hmm. Where they violate them, their economy is destroyed. So murder, for instance, thou shalt not murder. High murder rate, low economic growth, right? The neighborhood mm -hmm. goes down, nobody wants to live there, property values are destroyed where there's safety and they're not murder, the economies grow and increase. And you could just overlay that in thousands of ways that God's word is true and valid in the outcomes in the economy. I saw it, I've been immersed in it, and it's a message I felt like God said, help people see the Lord in everyday economic choices. Hmm. Mm. You know, when you talk about economy, we're talking a macro scale, we're talking about big, on a national scale, right? But we all know that a macro is made of a micro, right? And um, there's many people within an economy that make up that economy, many right, businesses. Right. So can you make the correlation that mindset is also, uh, also affects somebody's perception of wealth and perception of, of, of stewardship? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm going to give you the five elements of a biblical economy. The first is work. We work, God provides. He worked six days. Work was given to uh, Adam in Genesis 2.15 before he fell. His purpose was to work. His purpose was to manage the garden. So we work, God provides. When you work, you experience abundance. And after you work, you're to be a giver. Not just a transactional gift every now and then, but to see yourself like God created you. To be a giver. A verb where you're, it's a part of your identity and it's your first priority with resources. God so loved the world that he gave and we're most like God when we give. Secondly, we're taught to be savers. 
And when we save, it's not contrary to faith. We have financial margin, reduces our fear. It gives us capacity to give even more because our needs are met and we can be outwardly focused. After that, you're a spender. And after you understand what God said about spending, you're wise, you're careful, you're making choices, knowing that you're kind of writing your biography with the priorities of how you spend money. And then finally, you have a margin to invest. It creates more jobs. And so those five steps are a microeconomy. If we follow them, we experience the blessings of God's economy, as he promised. And the more people that follow those in any national economy on a macro basis, the healthier the economy will be. Mm. And if any of them break down, the economy is going to be broken. So if you have a culture that doesn't believe in work, broken economy. If you have a culture that doesn't believe in giving, like the Chinese, you have a broken economy. If you have a culture that doesn't believe in savings, like the Americans, you have a broken <laughs> economy. If you have a culture that can't reinvest in their, uh, in their country, you have a broken economy. And so that's the micro, I call it a spinning wheel, the cycle of a personal economy. If those are spinning and the bigger number of them are spinning, the macro economy grows and experiences the blessing of God. Amen. Mm. You know, financial issues are a major issue, you know, for, for everyone. We all have to deal with with that choice, right, of how we steward God, steward God's resources. Um, what is the biggest setback or the biggest thing that's holding back Christians, would you say, um, with their finances, and what is what is the way out? Can you help our listeners with that? Well, it depends on where we are, uh, you know, in the world, as you guys would know. It's sure. a, there's a mm-hmm. cultural difference and a nuance in every nation of what the real problem is. But I think one of the challenges we have is that stewardship is so misunderstood. The word itself, uh, a lot of Christians think a giving program is about to start, a church building campaign is underway. They think that's stewardship. Non-believers would say that it's saving the coral reefs. You know, it's all over the board. What is true stewardship? And so I've tried to make it practical in my own life. And, uh, and then, you know, there are people who think it's getting out of debt and building savings, you know. That's what they think it means. Uh, And I've rejected those definitions. To me, biblical stewardship is not ordering your finances in such a way that you can spend money however you want, where you're sort of this, hey, I'm free, I can do anything. Hmm. It's ordering your finances in such a way that God can spend you however he wants to spend you. And to me, it's becoming free of the love of money on one end. If you've got a surplus and your identity and purpose is wrapped up in it. And on the other end of that spectrum is people who are feel like they're constrained and inhibited from God using them because they don't have resources. But God wants us to be free and available for him to do with our lives whatever he wants to do while we're here. And I've seen people grab a hold of that definition and allow God to do amazing things for, through them, whether they have a lot or a little. It doesn't, that's not the way God sees us as human beings. He doesn't say, well, one day I'm gonna give you a whole lot so you can do a whole lot. You can do a whole lot with whatever you have if we're fully surrendered to him and to let him step in. But the other side of it is if you allow finances to become your impediment, where you say, Lord, I can't go because I've got a mortgage to pay. Can you imagine Abraham saying, you know, I'd like to go to there, but I got a mortgage on my tent and camels. You know, that wasn't the way that he structured his life. He's like, okay, I'm going. 
You guys know that, right? <laughs> the mission of life. I'm going. You've called. I'm going. And so you have to be ready so that finances are not blocking you. They're either going to block you or they're going to propel you. And it's not dependent on your amount that you have. I love that definition. I love how it's about stewardship. It's about not necessarily being financially free or financially sovereign or, you know, different terms that we, we hear now. Um, but it's about being available and being and managing your, your resources in such a way that God is able to send you, you and use you however. He owns you. Mm-hmm. He bought and paid for you. He says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all the people who live therein. You belong to him. And so we have to live in such a way that we're his currency. He didn't send me. Here mm-hmm. I am. Send me. And finances have to be subordinated to God's call on our life, to his mm-hmm. lordship. It's like you said earlier, faithfulness is the currency of heaven. I loved that statement, you know, just how allowing God to have a grip on our lives, not money. Yeah. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. Mm. And so when he owns you and you just say, Lord, invest me for the highest return on your kingdom, for your multiplication of your kingdom and glory, then you're there. And that's the joy to any culture. The culture that tells the the poor where we've served so many places that deceive them with the prosperity gospel actually keep them in bondage from serving God because they're waiting on their miracle of, you know, the Learjet might come my way, right? Mm -hmm. And they've, they've just, they're praying for God to do something that they don't have to wait on him to, to miraculously use them in powerful ways. Uh, I use Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 4 through 11 as sort of the paradigm for uh, God's development plan. And these were the Israelites that were taken captive in Babylon with nothing. And he said, okay, here's the plan. I first want you to build a house, settle down, get stable. Second, plant a garden and eat from your own garden. Third, marry and have sons and daughters. Increase, do not decrease, even in captivity. Stop listening to the diviners and deceivers that are among you, and then pray for and pursue the peace and prosperity of the city where I've called you. And then verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. And he just gave them the plan. Mary, get, you know, settle down, plant a garden, marry and help other people prosper. He inverts the prosperity gospel to be an outwardly focused instead of inwardly focused Mm -hmm. and that's when he said I'll supply all your needs when you take care of others no matter where you are that's the view that I've taken into the marketplace and I'm sure we could talk about that a long time absolutely Mm -hmm. well tell us the name of your new book and tell us where we can get a hold of that book well the book uh, is released uh, this week I'm not sure when the podcast is going to be released, but it should be ready. Uh, I actually, uh, it's uh, being released in two days from today, and it's available on Amazon. And people can order it uh, right there. And what I appreciate is if you like the book, you will provide a nice review Hmm. so that other people will be welcome to buy the book. The reason we use Amazon as a platform, it's the world's largest place to spread and disseminate information and it, the more good reviews it has the more people are going to buy it so it's a way that other people can kind of join in in helping the message get out about the book amen listeners will have that in our show notes as well 
Chuck, we know uh, we want to be honoring of your time today. Thank you so much for sitting down and sharing with us a little bit about it. Thank you very much. Well, thank the two of you. I'm so proud of what you've accomplished in your lives, and I pray the Lord's blessing on your work, and hope we can do some more things together. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you.